0: Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, to continue our Lord's Supper series on the covenants. We're going to start the covenant of redemption this evening, that great mystery of the pre-temporal, intra-Trinitarian agreement between the Father, Son, and Spirit to save elect sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a mouthful and it is a great mystery. We do not confess or we do not comprehend that, but we simply try to apprehend and confess it to be true. So Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14 is uh, an important text as far as the covenant of redemption goes. There are many others as well. Uh, For the next three Lord's suppers, we'll look at the covenant of redemption in Ephesians. So I'll read verses 3 through 14. Uh, But I will, we'll just look at verses three through six this evening. So Ephesians chapter one, we'll begin reading at verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory amen well let us pray oh lord our god we ask that you'd send forth your spirit to give us illumination once again this night as we come to comprehend come to uh, a difficult text a difficult doctrine one that is glorious, one that is blessed, one that considers your eternal love, your eternal decree, and your eternal covenant in which the Son would become incarnate. And we know, O God, these things are so hard for us to comprehend, for we are finite and you are infinite. And so we ask, O God, according to your revelation, according to how you speak to us in your word, may you help us in this endeavor. May you help us to make sure Uh, that we don't say things we ought not to concerning you that we don't say things that lead to heresy but we know God so often we are prone to move toward move in that direction so prone to make you in our image rather than recognize your revelation to us of who you are and thank you that you are the God who does not change there is no succession in you we're thankful oh God that in your decrees it is one simple undivided act and even though we think in succession we think uh in consequences oh god we know that in you it is one undivided act we do not comprehend this oh god but we confess it to be true and we're thankful that even in this one god in trinity in trinity and unity there are not three wills but one will and again oh god we do not comprehend this but we're thankful that we see your work of salvation uh in father son and spirit to save sinners in the lord jesus christ So thank you for this mystery. And may we know our identity in you because of your condescension to us by way of covenant. So we pray that tonight would be a night of encouragement. Tonight would be a night of a reminder of who you are and that we would see your mercy and love towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may this cause us to praise. May this cause us to bless you and praise you for your love towards us. So be with your saints this night, we pray. Be honored and glorified, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, certainly there are many doctrines of the Christian faith that are a great mystery. The mystery of the Trinity, one God in three persons, not three gods, but one God. There's also the mystery of the decree, how God decrees eternally all things that come to pass in time and space. How is it that the one who is eternal decrees things in time and space? That is, the one who is of eternity works in time and space a great mystery for us finite beings who think in succession and also when we come to the covenant of redemption it's also a great mystery again we think of the covenant of redemption you use the language of boardroom you use the language of deliberation sometimes the, between the father son and spirit but even that language is to accommodate to our finite pea-sized little brains but thankfully that we there is this revelation of the covenant of redemption in the scriptures, this eternal covenant between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And especially in Luke twenty-two, twenty-nine, 29, the Lord Jesus says, I bestow or I covenant to you a kingdom just as my Father has covenanted one to me. And certainly we will look at Luke 22 in our series at some point. In Zechariah six, thirteen, the council of peace shall be between them both. And certainly this covenant redemption is unfolded here in ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14 and the last covenant we looked at in our covenant series was the new covenant the covenant of grace where god offers to sinners eternal life where god enters into covenant with his elect people giving them everlasting hope in the finished work of the mediator but as we come to the covenant of redemption it is pre-temporal it was made in eternity the parties of the covenant are the father son and holy spirit in order to save sinners in christ and the covenant redemption really is a covenant of works for the lord jesus christ who would come down who would take on human flesh and in his human nature would become obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross so it's how we see god's decree revealed to us when it comes to salvation sam renahan said scripture presents that eternal purpose and promise of salvation To mankind, metaphorically, in the mode of a covenant, that is how he reveals it, transacted between the persons of the Trinity. And we see much Trinitarian language for us in verses 3 through 14. All three persons operating when it comes to salvation. And so what we see, especially in verses 3 through 6, is we see Paul praise the triune God for his plan of free and sovereign grace to save sinners in Christ. It was God's eternal plan, eternal purpose to save sinners in Christ before the foundation of the world. And this should give us great encouragement as God's people that our citizenship in heaven, our salvation was planned even before we were born and even before the world was brought into being. It was in the decree of our eternal God. So we'll look at this plan of sovereign grace under three headings this evening. Well, first of all, see blessing for the father in verse three. Secondly, we'll see predestination by the father in verse four and five. And lastly, we'll see praise to the father in verse six. So blessing for the father, verse three, predestination by the father in verses four and five. And lastly, praise to the father in verse six. And to accommodate to us, theologians typically describe the covenant of redemption well, with the Trinity in this way. The Father plans, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. That doesn't mean the Son isn't planning and the Spirit isn't planning. That doesn't mean that the Spirit and the Father aren't accomplishing. And it doesn't mean that there is an application brought about by the Father and the Son. But we appropriate, and I'll talk about that in just a minute for our pea sized little brains. But in any case, we see blessing for the Father in verse 3. Notice, blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts off this letter with a eulogy, a blessing, a praise to God most high. And that word itself is only ever used of God in the scriptures, only used of Him in the New Testament. And typically, blessings, that is, praise to God, honoring God, was used uh, in the synagogue to bless the Lord. And what's interesting is most of the letters that were written in the New Testament we we're, we're, we're meant to be read out loud again we can pull up our apps we can have it read to us we have our bibles at our fingertips but they did not and so they had to have the word of god read often at church that's where they got their word their weekly dose of the scriptures and so it was read out loud blessed be god to start the the letter let's praise him let's honor him and give him the glory due unto him and what's interesting too is in second chronicles 6 Solomon uses this language to bless Yahweh uh, for God's fulfillment of the promise to David to build the temple. And the book of Ephesians is all about building the temple and how God brings together Jew and Gentile in the building of God's house in Ephesians chapter two. But in any case, it starts off with praise, it starts off with worship, it starts off with honor. And notice the object Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us again this is appropriation this is speaking about one person of the trinity as he is revealed to us here again it's not as though the son and the spirit are not working and operating it's a it's a it's an undivided work of salvation but we see the father's plan here this appropriation concerning him the persons are given to us distinctly yet without operating separately one writer uh, one writer says and so appropriation really is we see something that pertains to all three or sorry pertains to the essence uh revealed in the one person so blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ we praise the father through the son by the power of the holy spirit and notice the reason he has blessed us We praise, we bless, but he himself has given us good things in this world. He is the one who has bestowed blessing. He is the one who has bestowed mercy. He is the one who has bestowed grace, our triune God, upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, we see all three persons here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. One will, threefold execution. Praise the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who gives us many blessings. And in the Old Testament, they were given temporal blessings, right? In Deuteronomy 28, if they did what God said, if they did what Yahweh of Israel gave to them as commands, they would have received temporal blessings. But our blessings are greater. The blessings of the covenant of grace, which is grounded in the covenant redemption, are far greater. They are spiritual blessings. And those spiritual blessings do not pertain necessarily to our spirit, but they refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's nice that we can piggyback off on what we talked about this morning in Acts chapter 2. As the spirit is poured out, certainly on the whole world as God advances his kingdom to the ends of the earth, We also said that the spirit is poured out and indwells each and every one of his people. And when we speak of the spiritual blessings, we're not talking about charismatic gifts. We're not talking about tongues. We're not talking about prophecy. But we see some of those spiritual gifts and we'll unpack that in just a little bit when he talks about predestination. We've been predestined in eternity. And those who have been predestined will be for adoption. Or in uh, Romans chapter 8, we see what's called the, uh, the skeletal verse for what's called the order of salvation. That is what the father plans, the son accomplishes, the spirit then applies in the life of believers. And this is where we talk about things like faith. How is it that you have faith? Well, A, you were predestined. B, you're regenerated. And that's the only reason we can have faith. The only reason we can believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ is because faith is a gift, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. But what precedes faith is regeneration, changing of the heart. People get that mixed up. People think you come to the front, you believe, and you're regenerated. It's the other way around. The only way someone believes is because they've been regenerated. And the only way someone who's been regenerated in time and space is because they've been predestined in eternity those whom the father has chosen in eternity, he will bring about their salvation accomplished in Christ and applied in the Holy Spirit. So when we speak of spiritual blessings because of Christ's obedience, we're referring to things like faith and repentance. We're referring to things like justification, being righteous in God's sight. We're referring to things like sanctification, Lincoln says the blessing consists of God's saving activity in Christ. And this fullness of divine blessing can be described as spiritual, not because it belongs to a person's inner, hidden life, but because it is bound up with the Holy Spirit. This triune God, in his eternal plan, chose to save sinners in Christ and provide all their blessings and benefits in the heavenly Places, unbroken communion with God. And brethren, if you don't feel like you have those blessings, notice we have them now. He blesses God the Father for the spiritual blessings that we possess already, not in full. We haven't had God declare on the judgment day not guilty, even though we know we're not guilty by faith. But one day on that judgment day, when we go to the judgment, God will say not guilty and declare it there. But we already possess those benefits now. Uh, Bruce says, even if they live on earth in mortal bodies, they can enter into the good of their heavenly inheritance here and now through the ministry of the Spirit. And this is one of the reasons Paul is writing in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3 is theology. He gives us Trinity. He gives us redemption. He gives us all that we are. what the Father, Son, and Spirit have done, then Ephesians 4 through 6 is application. You know what he says? You're the new man in the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 4. And the reason you're the new man in the Lord already is because of what Christ has done and because of the plan of God. We have already put on the new man in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know the language sometimes seems like we continually put on the new man, But the way the language is being used there in the Greek, I do think it already highlights you're already the new man. That is, what is your identity in Christ? You're the new man in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of the application that we see in the scriptures is this. You're already the new man. Live like the new man. You're already redeemed in Christ. Now live like you already are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the book of Ephesians is all about identity. And who are we in? And even in this section, as the the triune plan of God is unfolded for us, how often does he say in him, in him, in him, in Christ, you are the new man in the Lord Jesus Christ that ought to give us comfort that ought to give us encouragement. He says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, who is our mediator who is our Lord, who accomplished salvation as the one person, fully God and fully man. And in him, we have life and hope and peace. And he pours out this, the spirit is poured out again, the triune work of God. And Paul is telling us, here's who you are in the Lord Jesus because of the plan of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Rather than not to give us comfort and encouragement, when we go uh, with respect to our battles against sin, You're the new man in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. You have the spirit of Christ as a guarantee, which is what we'll talk about uh, in two Lord's Supper's time as a guarantee and inheritance for us now. You are the new man. We are blessed in Christ. We are blessed by the Father in the triune plan of God. So that's the blessing, Uh, a blessing for the Father. Let's then look secondly at the predestination by the Father. Notice verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, that word here is very, very clear. We just don't like it, or a lot of people don't like it. But the word elect or chose here really means the idea of making a choice in accordance with significant preference. God chose before the foundation of the world. Maybe the image or the language that is used in Ephesians 5 with respect to the church. For whom did Christ die, dear brethren? His bride. And the last time I checked, I have eyes, hopefully only for my bride. I have preference. I have one person that I set my eye upon. Or at least I ought to set my eye upon. And hopefully you're setting your eye upon your spouse in that way. But you see that image there, don't you? It is preference. It is choice. And so when, this father, or when the son comes and dies, he dies for the ones he loves. Now, the Bible tells us that the, the, the one to whom the father gives to the son in the eternal covenant of redemption is a great multitude that no man can number. We, and we see the application unfolding of who they are in time and space with their calling. But it is a great number. But it is still the plan of God just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. John Gill says, election does not find men in Christ, but puts them there. It gives them a being in him and union to him. Elect and chosen in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting too, this refers to Gentiles too, doesn't it? Refers to Gentiles who were once outside But we see that even in the eternal plan of God, it was always about saving sinners, saving the world, Jew and Gentile, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are far off shall be brought in. Zechariah 6 speaks that way. He talks about the branch and the one who will build the temple of the Lord. He even talks in that language there, which we will see at some point in this series, that we see that those who are far off shall be called near. And what do you know? That's exactly what he says in 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he chose us. And notice when he chose us. And when I say when, remember eternity, it's eternal. But I don't understand what eternity means. So we say when. When, before the foundation of the world. Before anything was brought forth. Before anything happened, and as Psalm 90 says, before the, the, the world, uh, before the mountains were brought forth, or even you formed the world or the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God, who is eternal, has decrees that are eternal, and this eternal God, who has eternal decrees, executes those eternal decrees in time and space without changing his eternity. He doesn't stop being eternal. He simply works in time and space. And there are implications here when we consider God's decree and consider this covenant of redemption. Because again, that language, boardroom, counsel, deliberation. It sounds like they're chatting about it, like you and I would, right? We're having a council. We're talking. We're trying to deliberate and figure out what's going on. That's for us. Remember, God does not change. And there is no succession in God Most High. And so that language of deliberation and boardroom is simply accommodation to us because God's covenanting is eternal. And certainly we see each person's involvement, but it's one will, threefold execution. But it is, again, accommodation to us. John Owen says, for as the infinite sovereign wisdom of his being admits not of his taking counsel with any other, he does not ask any other about what he's going to do. And since we believe in one God, (laughs) he does not ask any other. So the infinite simplicity of his nature and understanding, comprehending all things in one single act of his mind, allow not a formal counsel or deliberation. Basically what he's saying is because God, there is no succession in him and God cannot change. And if there is succession, there's change in God. What he is saying is God's knowledge is one divine act undivided deliberate one divine act of his mind and the same is true with his decree we think in succession because that's the only way we can think we think discursively we have to ponder and consider god just knows and god just is and since god is his eternal decrees are as well in him, it is his what his divine act of willing, and we see his execution of that in time and space with no change in him, great mystery, great marvelling, but it is something that we must confess, otherwise we will say that God can change, and we cannot say that, and so he covenants eternally to bring about things in time and space. And his eternal decree to save includes making his people in time and space holy and blameless that we might be presented before him. So see that verse four, just as he chose us before him, uh, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. That is, he say he chose and determined and deliberated, again, accommodation language that his people whom he chose might be holy and blameless. what do you know? This language is used for the bride in Ephesians chapter 5. Shall he be presented spotless? And the implication there in his decree, in the logical order of the decree for us, that he implies that those whom he's saving are sinful, are sinners. And so he says there, we should be holy and without blame before him that is he sets apart and he brings about all they need with the spiritual blessings he gives them all they need even as he sanctifies them and sets them apart that's the language there of holy they've been set apart by god and they have now been uh, without blame presented morally blameless before them how can we be morally blameless before him except in the love and the work of christ Colossians 1.22 says we were once evil, but now we are reconciled to be holy and blameless. John Edie says the first, that is holy, is inner consecration to God or a holy principle. The latter refers to its result. The life governed by such a power must be blameless and without apprehension. Eternal purpose not only pardons, but also sanctifies absolves in order to renew and purifies in order to bestow perfection that is those whom god has chosen he will regenerate and those whom he regenerates they will repent and believe and that is a gift in the scriptures those who believe shall be justified and are justified those who believe are adopted those who believe are sanctified and being sanctified Those who believe shall be preserved until the end. All to whom the Father has given to me, I will no wise cast out. God has chosen a specific people. And those whom he has chosen shall be saved and brought to the end. Because what Christ has purchased, the spirit then applies. And the final one is glorification. Our bodies shall be raised, our bodies shall be conformed uh, to Christ's heavenly body, our self-same bodies, but conformed to his heavenly body, all because of the eternal plan of God to bring us to this place. The eternal plan of God to bring us before him and present us holy and without blame before him because of the work of God, because of the work of Christ, because of the application of the Holy Spirit spirit and what's interesting is the fact that only those whom the father has chosen only those whom the father son and spirit have chosen they shall be saved that's what's in the covenant of redemption that language that we use that is the father says to the son again i'm speaking in human terms the father says to the son he says i will give look at these poor miserable wretches i will give you them if you obey if you take on human flesh and obey i will give you a kingdom i will give you a people and the son does so but again there's not two wills there's not three wills it's not they're not different wills they're not three consciousnesses but it's one will and threefold execution yes in the person of the son who is fully god and fully man there are two wills the human will and the divine will but in the, in, the we're, in who God is, there is one will in threefold execution, as we see the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's those to whom have been given to the Son, whom he came to die for, who shall receive the benefits. And again, great multitude, and the way in which they bring that about is through preaching, through teaching, through his work. That's why evangelism is still important. But we'll talk about that more, especially in verses 13 and 14. But notice... The fun continues. Verse 5. In love, I think in love goes with verse 5, having predestined us to adoption. It shows the eternal love of God in predestination. God is not some giant ogre in the sky, but according to his good pleasure, he chose. According to his good pleasure, according to his eternal love, he predestined destines that means he decides beforehand. He has a specific end that is determined. Later on, he talks about this with the bringing in of Jew and Gentile. He says in three nine, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Again, in several operation in creation, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which she accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The plan of salvation in Christ was always the plan. The plan of salvation in Christ was always the purpose. It was rooted in this eternal transaction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And notice it's in love, having predestined us... For a specific purpose, to adoption by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, this word is obviously different than chose, but it certainly highlights a similar idea. Again, it means to decide beforehand. God chose. Now think about this for a minute. A lot of people don't like that. A lot of people, we want to wanna bring some something of our own works into the plan of God, don't we? And into the work of God. And so some people don't want to just go straight Pelagianism. Pelagianism just says, I just earn my own way. No help, really. I just do it all myself. A lot of people want to bring some sort of power of God into it. So they like to explain things. Well, God chose, God, uh, uh, God made the way, but I end up choosing. Or here's one. God looked down the corridors of time and saw that I would choose. And so he made the choice based on who would choose. Well, there's a lot of problems with that, isn't there? A, what's typically called Molinism, probably is more heinous than that, actually. It probably is the idea that God saw all the possible worlds and things that could happen, and God chose the best world in which one could possibly believe, but really still leaves it up to man. But a lot of people like to soften that and just say, ah, God saw who would choose. Well, what are some other problems with that? Well, A, God doesn't think in succession, does he? So, how is it that God looks down the corridors of time? If God knows all things in one undivided act. And then there's the problem of the God who is eternal and the God whose decrees are eternal, then being moved by something outside of himself that has not been created yet. That is the necessary eternal God makes a decision based on his foresight of what the contingent that is could be or not be. Creature would do. God is moved by finite creatures in eternity. ranahan says if we say that God chose certain persons because he foresaw something in them, we are supposing their existence independent of God. This requires, by consequence, a complete unraveling and rejecting of the doctrine of God, and is therefore, in fact, heresy. God can change. God is impassable, or God becomes passable and is moved by things outside of him. And we must remember there are two really, you can boil it down to two things: all of matter, God and all things not God. Right? That's it. And to say that God, who is eternal, would be moved by things that are finite would make him not God. And especially in eternity deciding based on what finite creatures would do great mystery great blessedness having predestined us to adoption so predestination is a wonderful thing it is a biblical thing especially when you consider also to i didn't even talk about our sinfulness and wretchedness the fact that he chose us and predestined us before the foundation of the world is a great ought to be a great boon to our souls and notice he predestined us to something again eternity time and space to adoption that is he makes us heirs of the promise we are children of god and when you consider what we once were and he'll draw upon that in ephesians 2 we were once dead in our trespasses and sins why in the world would he choose us why in the world would he choose sinners? In Christ and it shows forth again in love having predestined us adoption to adoption as sons and even too when you consider what the ancient Near East or the Greco-Roman world thought of adoption it was much more frequent than it is today there's a lengthy quote from Ferguson and I think he highlights the blessing of what adoption is he says the person adopted at any age not just little children was taken out of his previous conditions all old debts canceled, and he started a new life in the relation of sonship to the new uh, familias, the new father, whose family name he took and to whose inheritance he was entitled. The new father now owned the adoptee's property, controlled his personal relationships, and had the right of discipline while assuming responsibility for his support and liability for his actions, all just as with natural children born into the home. Adoption is a great privilege when you consider that we were once slaves and now we are sons. That we have access to the Father. That is a great gift. Even he starts off in his greeting, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Again, that is a great privilege that you and I take for granted that we can call God our Father in Christ. That is part of that privilege of adoption but also an inheritance that we do not deserve, unfading, undefiled in the heavenly places. First Peter chapter one, it shows forth God's grace and mercy that he predestined before the foundation of the world, according to the good pleasure of his will. I mean, Ephesians just, Paul just drills it in to make sure we get it. We were chosen, we were predestined, According to the good pleasure of his will, and he's going to unpack that again in 11 and in verse 11 and 13 and 14, but in the good pleasure of his will shows forth God's kindness, God's goodness, God's grace toward us, even to choose us in him before the foundation of the world. So that's the predestination by the father. Now, again, the Son and Spirit are there, but we are appropriating here with the Father. And then lastly, let's look at praise to the Father in verse 6. A lot of praise. Everything I've said tonight should cause us to praise, right? To honor and glorify and praise him for all that he has done. He has saved, and he has saved us and given us things we don't deserve, and it should cause us to sing loud and praise him for all that he has done. Notice, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And he's going to unpack that more. And he says it in 12 and 14 as well. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Even Paul starts, blessed be the God and Father. But notice, specifically in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. God has been gracious to you, should you not praise and honor and glorify. So often we neglect that very thing. But this is what Paul says to the praise of the glory of his grace, that is his mercy and his kindness. Everything about salvation is mercy and kindness. If it was all about us and what we did, it wouldn't be grace, would it? Be merit. It'd be our own merit. It'd be what we did. And we don't have to praise God for anything with that, do we? Right? Or praise anybody for our merit. But God gives us grace. And again, unpacks this throughout the rest of the book as well. But it's according to his grace. And notice, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The triune plan of God. We all see it here, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit. How are we accepted in the mission of the Son? The one who is eternally begotten. His eternal relation of origin, again, that's human speak, eternal relation, by the way, eternal origin, we see it in the mission, that manifestation in time and space, that created effect of what the Son does, how he accomplishes obedience, how he obeys in his human nature, that in in this person of the Son, we are accepted, and the Spirit then works to apply those things for us. We are accepted in the beloved, a triune work of God, and we see us accepted in the work of Christ. And even that language, in the beloved, the one who is consubstantial with the Father, the Son and the Father are of the same substance. The Holy Spirit is of the same substance as the Father and the Son. Yet we see this special eternal relation. one who is eternally begotten, found in the one who is Christ, fully God and fully man. And we are accepted in him to the praise of the glory of his grace. This is our chief aim, praise and honor and glory because of the triune plan of God to save sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully this isn't just some sort of theological exercise, brethren, But as we contemplate and consider what is revealed here for us, may it lead us not just to doxology, which it should, but also to right practice. That's what the rest of the book unfolds as well. Again, who you are in him. Here's how we ought to live as the new man in him. Honor and glorify him in your vocations, in your relationships, in your jobs, but also make sure that you praise and honor and glorify our God for his triune work of salvation. This is our God. This is who he is. This is what he has done for us. Father, Son, and Spirit to save us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Let us pray. Our Lord God, so often we are forgetful of your majesty. And so often, oh God, we are forgetful of the praise we ought to give you. And so often, O oh God, we do not contemplate the good things that You've revealed in Your Word concerning Your love for us, concerning Your blessings that You give to us. So often they go in one year and out the other. We pray, O oh God, that You'd forgive us for these things. We pray, O oh God, that You would help us to not say things we ought not to concerning You. That You're the God who is eternal. Yet even as You work in time and space, You do not change within Your being. For you remain the same. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the God who does not change. And we're thankful for such a blessed affirmation of who you are. And we're thankful for the revelation of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Help us to see that in this Trinity, none is afore and none is after. That, you are, uh, that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, and yet we worship one God. And we're thankful that we see your economy, the economy of salvation in the Son and the Spirit. And, O oh God, we're thankful that the Father plans and the Son accomplishes and the Spirit applies. And may this cause us to worship. May this cause us to praise. May we love and appreciate the doctrine of predestination. Truly nothing in our hands we bring, but to the cross of Christ we cling. And thank you, O God, even before the foundation that Christ and the Father, Son, and Spirit covenanted to save sinners in Christ. Thank you for this mystery. But thank you for this blessed uh, uh, work of grace in our hearts and lives. So we ask that this would give us comfort and encouragement as we go out into the world, knowing that based on this eternal foundation, we shall be brought to the end. All the benefits that Christ has purchased for us, we shall Uh, have and do have even now the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places and one day we shall be glorified with Christ as the first fruit as the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead so even now oh God as we come to the Lord's Supper we long to see Christ as he is we long to uh, be in the new heavens and new earth when there's no more pain no more sorrow no more suffering but thank you that you remind us now that we are the new man in him So give us strength, give us aid by your spirit, we pray. Even as we come to partake at the supper, may we partake by faith and by the spirit. So help us now, we pray, be honored and glorified. Strengthen your saints, save sinners, we pray, in all things you will be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.